athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. into the dopest show on radio this is box to row i am your host donald ware got a good jam packed show for you today here on the program a couple of things that i want to get to today i want to talk about that nets and lakers game from thursday i want to talk about james harden james harden was absolutely spectacular on tuesday no Kyrie, no kd still had 38 points and came back the Nets from a 21-point deficit. He had 38 points and 11 assists in the ball game. And I think when they made the trade, I believe that I said that he would have to, his game would have to adapt a bit, and it has, particularly when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have been there. But when he needs to be James Harden, the James Harden that we knew in Houston, he has been that James Harden when need be. And to come back from a 21-point deficit at halftime to a a pretty good Phoenix Suns team is really, really saying something. So I want to talk about the Nets a little bit later on and a little bit more on the program. Did you hear the comments made by Draymond Green? And I think sometimes when Draymond Green speaks, and he speaks his mind, like, I'm not going to knock anybody that really speaks their mind, and that's what he does. But I think what he said this time around, when he when he said that the players need to have, uh, need to, in essence, be on equal footing with the owners or the governors or whatever you want to call them. I'm like, nah, not really. I mean, that's not even how. Like we all, I always try to equate what you see in sports and pro sports, more specifically to real life like in real life when you're on a job because at the end of the day while being an NBA player is not a quote unquote your typical quote unquote job it's a job and you have a boss right I mean your immediate supervisor if you will if we're doing an equation your immediate supervisor is uh is more or less the head coach I mean you can look at assistants but really your immediate supervisor is is the coach, the person above that person, uh, above the coach who is, you know, not your immediate supervisor, but is your boss in a lot of respects. And maybe a little bit to a lesser degree is the general manager. If I'm looking at a company, I would say that that's the CEO. And then you ultimately have the owner and the owner is the owner. Just like in a regular company, you have a regular job, if you will, situation you have an owner and no, the players and the owners are not 
on equal footing. So I'll talk a little bit more. As a matter of fact, going to replay part of what he said and break that down a little bit for you today here on Box to Row. I know last week we talked, if you remember, we talked with Mike Wallace, um, the senior editor of Grind City Media. We talked about a lot about the NBA and the NBA All-Star Weekend and the fact that it's going to be held in Atlanta. So, I mean, is that, that like... Is that a good idea? Like, I thought, I don't think it's a good idea at all. I mean, it's not even about the basketball. And like Mike mentioned, the players don't think ultimately, maybe collectively, that it is a good idea, but they're going to play, right? But the other part of this thing is this, and I think the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, you know, she has some concerns uh, about this game being played. I mean, I think, Rightfully so, because at the end of the day, you have an element we we forget. It's not just about the game and it's not just really about even the all star weekend festivities, whether it's the slam dunk contest, whether it's the three point shootout, whether it's the what they used to call the rookie challenge. It's it's not all about those things. It's about a lot of the ancillary events the parties that happen, the various things that happen within a city related to NBA All-Star Weekend where there's a lot jumping off. Like, I've been to these things. I've been to Las Vegas. I've been to Orlando. I've been to L.A. I've been to New Orleans when they when you have these NBA All-Star Weekends. It's, a, it's great. Like, it is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But it attracts people, and people... When you say NBA All-Star Weekend, we're in a pandemic, people's mindsets are party. They're, they're, they're going to go immediately to party, even though we're in a pandemic. Like we, we can talk all day about masks and some people have been vaccinated and all of those kind of things. But at the end of the day, we're still in a pandemic. So it's not necessarily even about the games and the on-court stuff that's going to be happening related to NBA All-Star Weekend. It's about the other stuff, which includes many people. You can, and, and I think that's the point that the mayor was trying to bring home. Don't, you know, we don't want a lot of people coming to Atlanta, but ultimately people are going to come to Atlanta because they may say, well, we're not going to have any fans in the stands or it may be limited. That's not the point. It's NBA All-Star Weekend, and it's going to bring an element of people that are going to come anyway. And believe me, like my first NBA All-Star Weekend was in Las Vegas, right? I had never been to Las Vegas before, and that was in 2007. And, I mean, all of the stuff I got to participate in, the game, the rookie challenge, the, you know, uh, Saturday night, and, uh, you know, rest in peace to Roscoe Nance, who who passed away about 11 months ago. I mean, it was because of him He's writing for the USA Today. I mean, I met all these people, David Stern at the time, rest in peace to David Stern, and got to go to all of these these functions and meet a lot of people I met. As a matter of fact, I met Sekou Smith, rest in peace to Sekou Smith, through Roscoe Nance as well. So I got to do all of those things, but there's a party element and a nightlife and all of those things that are related to NBA All-Star Weekend that that is going to attract 
to Atlanta as well in a pandemic. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, guess the NBA is going to go through with it. But, I mean, you got to think more than just your events. You got to think the, you know, people are going to come regardless of the pandemic. So we can touch on that a little bit later on as well. Your participation here on Box to Row always warranted. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. You can hit me on my personal Twitter account, at dware one at dware one or my personal Instagram account, at WhereDonald. Thank you to all of the wonderful affiliates around the country that carry Box to Row. Those that listen to us on Sirius XM channels 141 and 142 and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. Let me get to it. I want to replay part of what Draymond Green had to say with respect to players who can be traded. The players uh, have to sit out games uh, because they may be on the trading block or on the trading block. I mean, he went through a whole bunch of different things. I mean, like some of the stuff, like okay. I mean, I get it in 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 in, in part of it is context, but most of it I just didn't agree with. So let's play it now, and then I'll give you my thoughts. To watch Andre Drummond before the game, uh, sit on the sideline, then go to the back, and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him is because when James Harden asked for a trade and essentially dogged it. I don't think there was no surprise or no, you know, there's no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for wanting to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, oh, we want to trade a guy. And then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer and he's not good in someone's locker room and he's the issue. And we've seen situations of Harrison Barnes getting pulled off the bench. You know, DeMarcus Cousins finding out that he's traded in an interview after the All-Star game. And we continue to let this happen. But I got fined for stating my opinion of what I thought should happen with another player. But teams can come out and continue to say, oh, we're trading guys, we're not playing you. And yet we're to stay professional. At some point, as players, we need to be treated with the same respect and have the same rights that the team can have. Because as a player, you're the worst person in the world when you want a different situation. But a, but a team can say they're trading you and that man is to stay in shape. He is to stay professional. And if not, his career is on the line. At some point, this league has to protect the players from embarrassment like that. You know, we talk all of this stuff about you can't do this, you can't say that publicly. If you say that publicly, you're fine. Anthony Davis got fined, I think, $100,000 or something like that for demanding a trade publicly. But you can say Andre Drummond's getting traded publicly and we're looking to trade him publicly and he's to stay professional and just deal with it. But then when Kyrie Irving say, oh, my mental health is off, Everybody go crazy about that, too. Do you not think that affects someone mentally? Listen, a couple of things to unpack there. I I think, again, as I spoke about it before, it's not equal footing. Now, in terms of the split of the money, 
it may be. As a matter of fact, I think the players have the upper hand in terms of the money that the players get opposed to the owners. So they may have the upper hand from that perspective, but it's a collective, right? But in terms of, he says that, he says that the players need to have the same rights that the team has. Uh, no, 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 I don't, I don't think so at all. That doesn't happen on regular jobs. Further, if Andre Drummond gets hurt, then you can't trade him. Maybe what Draymond perhaps is referencing is that players don't need to just sit on the bench if they're going to be traded. I don't know, but I don't agree with Draymond much of what he had to say. Your thoughts on Twitter and Facebook. Still to come, HBCU football talk and Daytona 500 winner Michael McDowell. But up next, talking with Florida State head men's basketball coach Leonard Hamilton. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at box to row and on Facebook at From the Press Box to Press Row. And don't forget to tell your friends to check out all of the latest from Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to row. I reminisce for a spell, or shall I say think back? Yeah. 22 years ago to keep it on track. The birth of a child on the 8th of October. Like a toast, that. but my granddaddy came sober. Count all the fingers and the toes, now I suppose. As we continue here on Box Row, we're joined by a gentleman in his 19th season as the head men's basketball coach at Florida State. Seminoles have made seven NCAA tournament appearances and... Have a current 12 and 3 record, 8 and 2 in the ACC. He's the three time ACC coach of the year. Of course, the Seminoles won the ACC regular season championship last year. He's Leonard Hamilton, joins us here on Box to Row. Well, hello, fellas. How are you doing? Doing absolutely awesome and so glad to have you. Your team is doing well, uh, as a matter of fact. And I want to start there. Your thoughts on the season to this, supposed being 12 and 3 and 8 and 2 in ACC play? Well, it's kind of difficult right now to start wanting to evaluate where you are when you're still in the middle of the season. You know, we still just taking it one game at a time. You know, we we've had some bumps in the road, but I think we're making progress. Um, I, I, the challenge for us is is adjusting to you know the pauses that we've had. We've had two pauses, so we've lost too much of working and development that I think has you know affected us somewhat and. And uh, we play a lot of people, and so, you know, the way we develop is a little different. So, But right now, we're just trying to take it one day at a time, trying to get better. Let's see where we are at the end of the season. Then maybe I can give you a better idea of how I really feel. Yeah, no, I get that. And, and actually, it's an interesting uh, 
scenario when you talk about the pauses that I want to get to a little bit later on. But this win over UVA where you score 85 points, and this is a UVA team that's the fourth-ranked defense in the nation in terms of points allowed per game in the country. Your thoughts on your team's performance and being able to score that amount of points? Well, you know, we just play the way we play, you know, and regardless of who it's, who it's against, we don't change very much. You know, we all know that Virginia is an unbelievably sound, fundamentally sound basketball team. You know, on, on Monday, we just got we got off to a good start. We shot the ball very well. Our kids executed the offense very well. We got some easy baskets in transition, and, and we got off to a good start. I mean, I don't know if that's any reason. It's not time to start taking any bows now because, you know, we still got more games we got to play. And um, I just think that we had, we had a good game and maybe Virginia didn't play quite as well as they're normally capable of playing. And sometimes in the ACC, if you're not at your very, very best, um, you know, you, you, it's hard to win. There's no question that they're the most dominant team in the ACC in the last five or six years. They won the national title. Uh, they uh, have won more games in the last five or six years than anybody in our league. We get them respect. And I think as a result of the of the respect we have for the outstanding job that Coach Bennett has done and for the outstanding players that they have, uh, that uh, I thought that motivated and got our attention. And we realized we had to be at our very best in order to be successful against them. So, you know, uh, now the challenge for us is to be consistent playing at that level all the time. That's the voice of Leonard Hamilton in his 19th season as the head men's basketball coach at Florida State. He joins us here on Box to Row. I mean, you to your point, you play a lot of guys, some balanced scoring. Right now, MJ Walker leads you in scoring. He's averaging 13.9 points per game, shooting 47% from the field and 48% from three-point range. Can you speak to his growth uh, really over four years because you look at where he was as a freshman uh, but even from last year to this in terms of how he's really grown uh, under you uh, in this Florida State program? Well, MJ has had a very good run. He's been a very integral part of our team ever since he was a freshman. Uh, he's a, a, a guy who uh, who has embraced his role, uh, has changed and gotten uh, – more important as, as time has gone on, has moved on. Now he's the senior. Uh, he's going to get his degree uh, this semester. Uh, he's the leader of our team. He's embracing that, giving us good leadership. and uh, It's really, really uh, nice to see a kid come into school, grow, get his degree, and still have an opportunity to play basketball after he leaves Florida State. So it's a success story as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, can I take you back a little bit to last year? I mean, you finished first, as I mentioned, in the regular season, in the tournament, and COVID hits. Yeah, man, how frustrating was that? Do you feel like you had a team that could win it all? Yes, yes, we we feel like we had a team that could have won it all last year, but we've been that way for the last four or five years. You know, we we lost in the Elite Eight to Michigan a few years ago. The year before that, a couple years before that, uh, I, we lost to uh, uh, the VCU in the in the in the, in the, in the Sweet 16. That I thought we had a legitimate chance to, to win it, and uh, you know we've been knocking on it. And the year before last, uh, we, we 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 lost I think in the Sweet 16, but 
we had two players, two of our top six players, you know, had injuries right there toward the end of the season, Phil Colford and uh, our point guard, uh, fifth-year senior, uh, David Nichols. And so we've been knocking on the door. Last year I thought was another year that if we had gotten in there, we could have done it. Now we feel the same way about this year. You know, we, you know that's just the way basketball is. That's the way the nature of ch- challenges, you know, obstacles that you have to overcome. Uh, we just realized that, you know, next next year up, we just got to go see can we do it again. And sooner or later, hopefully we'll get to that point where we have our opportunity. You know, the interesting thing is these last couple of losses have been, after those losses, you've you've had a pause and postponement in games for the last couple of weeks, which is, which is very interesting. And then you've gone on a winning streak. Uh, can you speak sort of to that and some of the adjustments that you – uh, make with the team having that sort of that that two weeks off. Well, we try to communicate with our guys. We try to stay connected. You know, we have a lot of Zoom calls uh, with with them when we can't be in contact. Uh, to try to keep us, we spend more time coaching their minds and their spirits, and, because, and then they, because we physically can't have access to them because their bodies. But what we try to just be very a matter of fact approach understand that these are circumstances that are beyond our control. So what we have to do is be mature enough to deal with that which we can control. That's our mental, emotional uh, approach to uh, dealing with these uh, unforeseen circumstances. You have to have the maturity to prepare yourself for the unexpected. And that's the framework. Don't have a pity party. Don't be worrying about it. What if? Don't allow yourself to be stressed because in reality, uh, unless you're sick, these things that are going on are small in comparison to some issues other folks have that are less fortunate than us. And if, all, if are we going to miss a few games, miss a few practices, and we still got our help, then we need to be appreciative and don't allow ourselves to get caught up in the negative stuff that brings you down. You know, some say say there's the mental the mental health issues of kids being stuck and can't go anywhere, can't do anything, can't see anybody. What I point out to them, of all those people around the world who are less fortunate than them, so don't, I don't want to hear us crying about us not being able to, to go out and us not being able to, to, to go practice, get over it. But now the matured people will get better. Those who are not matured, they'll stay the same, and some going to get worse. There were three different categories. We wanted to be in the in the, in the get better category. And our kids have, have done that. I think they've made the sacrifice and they've handled it very well. Leonard Hamilton joins us here on the program. You look at uh, the loss of John Thompson and then more recently, uh, John Cheney. Can you speak to the impact that both of these coaches had on you? Well, John Thompson specifically, I knew John Cheney very well. We talked occasionally, but I had an unbelievably close relationship with John Thompson, and he probably has much to do with my career as any, anybody at all, leading God and me. And then once I got to be a head coach, I leaned on him for his advice. Whenever I had issues that I felt I needed some matured advice, I would always call him. I had him on speed dial, and he, he was always uh, instrumental in leading and guiding me and giving me the, the benefit of the wisdom that he had gained through his years of experience. And so there's nobody in coaching that benefited more from the, the, the mentorship uh, that John Thompson gave than, than Leonard Hamilton. I'm so appreciative, and anytime I can ever do anything to honor him, 
I'm on it. You know, for you, we're here in the state of North Carolina. You're from Gastonia. For those that don't know, Leonard Hamilton is from Gastonia. So with, and I don't think a lot of people know, I mean, when Gastonia had a community college, started a basketball program, you were one of the first athletes, first black assistant at Kentucky, first black athlete, I believe it was athlete, not just basketball player at UT Martin. Can you speak to and, and where we are in terms of Division One basketball, where it's getting it's a lot better than where it was in terms of black coaches. But some of the uh, you've obviously been mentored by some, but can you speak to how you've also passed along? Uh, now you're a mentor to some of the uh, black coaches that are coming along in Division One men's basketball. Well, I've been very fortunate in my career to have had some very unique and special opportunities. And, and, you know, I've had so many people along the way help me. And so I'll, I'll try to be available to not only the, the, the black coaches, but whoever else I can help. I have a lot of guys that have, have, have come under my tree, Bill Self being one of them. Uh, he was one, I, I, he was, I, I gave him his first assistant job when I was at, 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 at Oklahoma State. But uh, in this day and time, you know, in our business, this is kind of a small world. You know, you have people help you, and you try to help other people. That's been my motto. And uh, someone said that, you know, a true test of a man's importance is how 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 much does he help someone else who is less fortunate. And that's always been my motto. Leonard Hamilton again in his 19th season as the head men's basketball coach at Florida State. The Seminoles scheduled to play Virginia Tech on Saturday, 12-3 and three on the season, 8-2 and two in ACC play. As he joins us here on Box to Row, Coach Hamilton, appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Seminoles. Thank you very much. And the Seminoles having to pivot a little bit. Originally scheduled to play Virginia Tech on Saturday. Instead, going to take on Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, the new opponent because uh, Virginia Tech had some issues with COVID. And so... The Seminoles going to take on Pittsburgh. Your thoughts on anything that Leonard Hamilton had to say, your reaction to anything that he had to say, hit us up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Still to come here on Box to Row, Daytona 500 winner, Michael McDowell. But up next here, we're going to talk a little HBCU football. We got a game, Jackson State and Edward Waters taking place on Saturday. We've got more of the program on the other side. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. Bubba Wallace. They feel like I am throwing a race into the context here and it's not about race he's a driver at the end of the day everybody's making it about race it's all about the headlines these days not me saying like yep i'm the black guy here you're gonna not stop hearing about me it was more along the lines of the fans like hey it's cool i've been dealing with that for, for a while he's spike lee thank you i haven't heard that i mean i've been on rails all over the nation thank you for that question i'm a third generation morehouse man i was taught to speak your truth and that is very special about being a Morehouse man, the same way you feel about your school, the same way we feel all about our respective historic black colleges. That would have been my first choice anyway. 
and I'm proud to be a Morehouse man. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. And, uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. Ron Rivera, you know, a great player. Did you see yourself as a coach? I've been told a lot of times by a lot of people, boy, you know, you're kind of like a coach on the field. I always felt at some point, yeah, I'd probably get into coaching. It all started because of my son wanting to play football. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. You get to <laughs> people to be better and do better and, and that's what i love man so thank you i appreciate you i'm talking about none other than common well, i ended up in sam just because i wanted to major in business and sam you had the illustrious school of business then i found out that business was the key that's what i wanted to do dave roberts manager of the la dodgers to be person of color and be the manager of the dodgers what does that mean to you? well i think the first thing that comes to me is responsibility with recency and, and kind of the social, the racial issues that we're having that really come to light, which is, I believe, are good things. I think that it's a responsibility for me to be the first manager of color for the Dodgers. There's not many of us in baseball. To do things the right way, to hopefully give others, other people of color, opportunities. Hopefully it just paves the way. So I think that for me, I, I definitely look at it as responsibility, but something I'm willing to undertake. Omari Hartwick. And it's crazy that you say that. I got one of your colleagues and one of your contemporaries and that being Stephen A. He hit me about three weeks ago and he texted me and he said, oh, how did I miss this one? But it's equally been a beautiful thing for me to see how much you guys who work in sport are fans of me. But for you to like it as much as Stephen A. said he liked it and all within the last three weeks, you both are commenting on it. I'm in good company. We're, we're HBCU guys, you know. I know I'm in good oh, company. Of course, bro. <laughs> Shout out to Howard University. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to one Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. She's Simone Biles. Actually, really fun. Like, to be honest, me and Allie had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, like, we're in the best shape of our lives. We're feeling confident about our body, and we hope that other young girls and women, like, feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because he was against his religion. Mm -hmm. Called all the top black athletes together along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown to Division One. Kyrie Irving Playing at Duke for Coach K, what was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having the brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. From the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU Sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real.
Relevant Radio. All right, we can finally talk some HBCU football here on from the press box to press row because we've been talking some HBCU football, don't get me wrong, but in terms of some of the matchups because, guess what? The season begins on Sunday. Jackson State is going to host Edward Waters, and you know all eyes are going to be on Jackson State and what Jackson State has coming in and uh, you know how they're going to be able to handle things and moving into the SWAC and Deion Sanders and all of those great things. I'm going to tell you what, I think that Edward Waters is going to be prepared. I've known Greg Ruffin, who's the head coach there, for a long time. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I had a chance to have a virtual tour of of, uh, of Edward Waters facilities. You know, they're moving into a new facility. We're supposed to start playing this spring, but may be ready by fall. The football field and everything is ready to go. The video scoreboard, uh, the where the coaches' offices are, it's absolutely tremendous. I think what he's done there is absolutely tremendous, and he also has a history at Jackson State. He was a an assistant coach when uh, Rick Comagy was the head coach there at Jackson State. Of course, if you remember, Jackson State won the SWAC championship uh, in back in 2007, and Greg Ruffin was part of that staff. But I'm interested, like most people are interested, to see what Jackson State has to offer, exactly what's going to happen with Jackson State uh, football. A lot of guys are coming in. A lot of fanfare has been made. Let's remember. And a lot of the guys that have been brought in, first of all, with the recruits, the recruits aren't go- most of them anyway, in terms of at least the high school kids, uh, aren't going to be able to play uh, this year. So that's one thing to sort of look out for. You're going to have a lot of the same guys coming back from last year's team, which wasn't really a great team. So uh, Deion Sanders and his staff, a lot of work uh, to really put in. I think it's going to be an uphill battle uh, for Edward Waters, no question about that. And, and by the way, big shots out to our affiliate. Edward Waters is in Jacksonville, Florida. Big shots out to our affiliate in Jacksonville, XL 1010 and 92.5 FM, where you hear uh, Box to Row each and every week. An uphill battle, I think, for Edward Waters. Nonetheless, uh, remember, they had a guy that had an opportunity to play pro ball. Matthew Wilkerson uh, played tight end and defensive end. The only reason I think he really didn't get a shot, because if you think about a guy like that and you have a pro team, that's the beauty of having of being in a city where there's pro football. It's the beauty of Howard, uh, Howard University and, and Bowie State to a lesser degree with the Washington football team being in D.C. For the, for the uh, Morgan State Bears, the Baltimore Ravens being in Baltimore. You look at some of the other cities. I'm just trying to think of some of the other cities coming to the top of my, uh, to the top of my head. I mean, you look maybe at Johnson C. Smith uh, and Livingstone there uh, in, in the Charlotte, or Johnson C. Smith is actually in Charlotte, and ultimately Livingstone's in Salisbury, which is right up the road to have a, you know, a Carolina Panthers that's right there in the same area, right there in the city. You know, you look at, you go to Texas Southern and Prairie View A&M with the Houston Texans being right there. So there's a lot of examples of that. And I think, uh, you know, Math, Matthew Wilkerson's a guy that would have benefited, I'm, I'm sure, that the Jaguars would have brought that young man in had there been some kind of 
uh, camp, but unfortunately, and he may still get his opportunity. But my point is, I mean, Greg Ruffin's got some players. Edward Waters ultimately is going to be in the SIAC, if not this upcoming fall. I don't think it's this upcoming fall, but next fall the uh, they're going to be in the SIAC. And remember, you look at that team last year, I mean, played Southern pretty tough, played some teams pretty tough. Uh, last year, so be on the lookout. I think for Edward Waters, who's also going to have, uh, going to play some ball, some other games in the spring. So looking forward to the matchup, and I think one of the players that a lot of people aren't talking about is the young man, the linebacker for Jackson State in Keontae Hampton. I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, about him. He was the the SWAC's defensive player of the year. And he's, you know, he's going to be hungry. Like a lot of people aren't talking about him. They're talking about everything but him. So you know he's going to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Looking forward to that game on Sunday. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that the game can be can be shown or going to be shown somewhere. It's not, if I'm not mistaken, it's not part of the ESPN three package. Uh, by the way. Uh, ESPN announced that, you know, quite a few games are going to be shown on the ESPN family of networks, more specifically on ESPN U, uh, ESPN three and in a couple of games that, that are going to be on ESPN U. So I'm just interested in seeing uh, if I'm if I'm not going to watch, be able to watch the game, which I'm not sure, um, I, you know, Jackson State may be showing the game on like the Jackson State Network, I think. Uh, and I don't know if that's just locally uh, in Jackson. Actually, I'm looking now. Actually, is an ESPN three game. I looked. I thought I didn't see where it was. So definitely going to have my eyes on that football game. So uh, hopefully you've been listening to the HBCU Football Daily podcast. More recently, we had a conversation with Arkansas Pine Bluff uh, head coach Doc Gamble in his first season. I think Arkansas Pine Bluff. It's going to be really, really good uh, this year. I, I think when you you know you talk about Skylar Perry coming back, uh, Harry Ballard the third at the wide receiver, and then some defensive guys that I think where that's where Arkansas Pine Bluff has to be more improved this year. And you can hear Doc Gamble talk about the Arkansas Pine Bluff program. So what I've done for the last ten or eleven years is give my top five players to watch coming in to the season. And since the HBCU football spring season is going to begin on Sunday, I'm going to give you my top five players to watch for the spring. And this is volume 11. So this is the 11th season, actually, that we've done this. At number five, I have a tie for number five, Jalen Harris of Prairie View A&M. He's a defensive back. He's a redshirt senior. This is a young man that's one of the best corners in the swack in the swack he's a shutdown type of corner uh, his numbers backed up his play from 2019 where he led the conference in passes defense per game at 1.8 per game 14 pass breakups he also had four interceptions on the season for his career he's got 30 pass breakups and seven interceptions and that's uh in uh, two seasons at uh Prairie View A&M and, you know, he's a former, he's a guy that originally enrolled out of high school at UTEP, but then, well, when he, for playing football, I should say, because prior to UTEP, he spent a couple of years in the LA Dodgers farm system 
as a center fielder and a second baseman. So this is a young man that's a very, very good athlete and one I think that has an opportunity to play at the next level. He's tied for number five. I have him tied at number five with the aforementioned Harry Ballard, the wide receiver from Arkansas Pine Bluff. You look at Ballard, you look at the numbers. He had a couple of quarterbacks throwing the ball to him, but the, 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 it didn't matter the quarterback. He was the constant. 52 receptions, averaged 18 yards per reception, 938 yards, had 10 receiving touchdowns. All of those numbers were top five in the SWAC. He had five games of 100 or more yards receiving, including against the likes of an Alabama A&M where he also caught three touchdown passes. Tennessee State, Purview A&M, some pretty good competition. He's a transfer from the University of Missouri. He he didn't play. He actually played at a JUCO coming out of high school, uh, then went to Missouri. I, I don't even believe that he played and then ultimately is now at Purview A&M where he is definitely excelling. At number four, Jerry Garner. Of Mississippi Valley State, he's a defensive end. You know, he's a guy that hasn't really gotten the credit I think that he deserves. You look at the numbers, he's got the numbers, especially from last year, but this is a Mississippi Valley State program that just has not been good for quite some time. So he's going to be a guy that's overshadowed. 5-28 and 28 is what Mississippi Valley State is in the three years that Jerry Garner has played, but you got to figure that they're going to be improved this year behind the defense. He led the SWAC in sacks with nine. He had 16 tackles for loss. He had 53 tackles on the season, 31 solo. That's pretty, that's good, especially for a guy that's an edge guy, a rush guy, a defensive end, you know, a defensive end that goes out and not just can rush the quarterback, but can also make tackles uh, as well, and did it against, uh, did some good things against stuff, a stiff competition against Lamar, Alcorn State, Grambling, and Alabama A&M combined, six tackles for loss, and he also had two sacks on the season. I have Jerry Garner of Mississippi Valley State at number four. And by the way, this isn't necessarily the the best five, or in this case, six players in HBCU football. It's the five players to watch. At number three, I also have an aforementioned player, Keontae Hampton of Jackson State. Um, Listen, this is a guy, again, who has a chip on his shoulder. Um, All the big-name recruits that are coming in with Jackson State and Deion Sanders and all of that, not a lot of people talking about Keontae Jackson, the linebacker. Remember, he was the SWAC's defensive player of the year, had 121 tackles last year. 78 of those tackles were solo 14 tackles for loss, also had four and a half sacks on the season. It's a guy, you talk about the transfers that are coming in. Well, this is a guy that has some college, um, has some experience, because some of the transfers, as I mentioned, may may be guys that haven't necessarily played uh, a lot in college, and Keontae Hampton's a guy who has played quite a bit in college. And number two, Aquil Glass, the quarterback, out of Alabama A&M. He's one of the top 25 uh, NFL prospects at quarterback in all of college football, in all of college football. He can make all of the throws, um, 
And, you know, he's looking to be a guy that's going to be drafted. He's going to come back. He's going to play this spring, but he's going to come also play in the fall. So next year's draft, if he's drafted, he'd be the first guy that would be drafted since to, uh, out of the SWAC since Tavares Jackson was taken in the second round back in 2006 by Minnesota. Completed 61% of his passes uh, th- uh, and threw uh, for 3,200 yards, 32 touchdowns, three eleven interceptions, um, and – this is a Alcorn State or an Alabama A&M team that has an opportunity, I think, to win the SWAC championship. I know the coaches uh, in Alabama A&M, I should say, as a whole, not happy with Alcorn State's decision to to not play football in the spring. But Alabama A&M is going to be really, really good this year. Then the number one player I have to watch also from Alabama A&M, Abdul Fateh Ibrahim. Now, this is a young man that last year was, a, or as I say, last year, 2019, was a freshman, had a spectacular freshman season, 59 receptions, which was third in the SWAT, had 1,004 receiving yards, had 11 receiving touchdowns, and averaged 17 yards per reception. Seemed like he got better every game. I just remember Connell Maynard on the SWAT coaches' calls would keep talking about this young man each and every week, and you can see why. And I'm telling you, I was really looking forward to that matchup against Alcorn State. Could have been the HBCU game of the year was slated to take place on February 27th, but now I'm looking where he would have went up against Quinterio Cole of Alcorn State, but now I've got circled the matchup on March 20th against Prairie View A&M when he's going to go up against Harris. Your thoughts on Twitter and on Facebook, up next, here on From the Press Box to Press Row, going to talk with Daytona 500 winner, Michael McDowell. Box to Row.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the Game of the Week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. Box to Row.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box to Row.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All-American teams and weekly media coaches bowls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box to Row.com. Your HBCU sports leader. This is a national health care alert from the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one has diabetes, listen closely. Now, regardless of your age, if you have insurance, you may qualify to receive diabetic testing supplies with little to no out-of-pocket cost. Get free delivery, free information, and all the paperwork is handled by our accredited suppliers for free. Call the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline now for details. Toll free at this number. But wait, there's more. If you call right now, you could get a meter upgrade. In addition, we'll give you a free pair of diabetic socks as our special gift to you. Regardless of your age, if you suffer with diabetes and have insurance, you may qualify to get free delivery of your supplies. 800-443-4996. 800-443-4996. 800-443-4996. That's 800-443-4996. Track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman who just won the Daytona 500 
on Sunday. As a matter of fact, he drives the number 34 for Front Row Motorsports. And not only did he win the Daytona 500, it was his first victory on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. He is Michael McDowell, joins us here on Box to Row. Michael, congratulations and welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's, I'm glad to have you. I just want to get your thoughts. What did it mean to you to win the great American race this past Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to describe. It's hard to put it in words. I mean, you know, in, in NASCAR, this this is our Super Bowl. It's the Daytona 500. It's, you know, the biggest race of the year. And then, um, you know, just the history that's behind it. I mean, the, the you know, the guys that have won this race and, you know, their their names stamped, you know, not only in the concrete at Daytona, but, you know, just the history to, to be, you know, in the same, you know, even conversation as Petty's and Andretti's and, um, you know, Gordon's and Earnhardt's. It's just an amazing uh, thing to even think about and very humbling. And, you know, I'm just so thankful that we were um, we're in the right spot at the right time and we were able to get the, get the win. Yeah, right spot at the right time. You led for only one lap, which was the last lap. The crash that happened prior to you, you know, crossing the finish line. What did you see there? Yeah, you know, it was, it was a crazy race. We had that crash early on, and we had a little bit of damage. And then, you know, we, we worked really hard to get ourselves in position. And, and, and that's what that racing's all about. You know, we were able to get back into the, the top five. And then, you know, we were in third coming to the white flag. And, and felt like we were in a really good spot and had a big run. And, and uh, I had a good push uh, from Chase Elliott. And, and Brad Keselowski and I got a big run. And, and Brad went to pass Joey. And they made contact. And, you know, the, the seas parted. I went right through the middle and um, was able to get the, uh, the victory. Yeah, but I guess at the end of the day, you put yourself in that position so that if because something like that happened, I mean, you were in position to ultimately win the race. Yeah, I did feel like that. I felt like, you know, that I wanted to be sitting third there um, and I wanted to be able to push, you know, second place and, and get a big run. And I knew that, that Brad would make a move on Joey and I knew Joey would block the move. And, you know, I didn't think that they would get together, but, you know, it's the last lap of the Daytona 500. So I knew that they would present an opportunity. And, you know, my plan was to wait till off of turn four when they got side by side to make a move. And, you know, before we got there, they obviously made contact and, and the rest is history. What what about the what did you do like the five hour delay? How did that sort of affect you? You know, I think that the for us, you know, we had a little bit of damage from that that first accident uh, before the red flag came out for the rain, and and so it allowed us to just kind of strategize on how we were going to fix the damage, what we needed to do, um, you know. But for me, I just try to stay focused and not get you know um, just too lazy where. You know, you're just laying around not doing anything, try to keep the energy up, and um, you, you just never know when they're going to go back racing. I mean, so you just want to try to stay in the game a little bit. And um, But it's tough. I mean, those rain, you know, delays are long, and, um, you know, you're just trying to, um, you know, not let your mind go, you know, to, to dormant or to sleep because, you know, that when you have to fire it up, you got to be ready to go. I mean, but for you at the Daytona 500, like I look at the last couple of years, I mean, we can go back to 2013, uh, a ninth place finish. 2018, fourth place finish. 2019, fifth place finish. Last year, a 14th place finish. So you, you've always, you know, you've been there the last couple of years. You've been right there. 
So what what sort of was the difference for you and your team this year to win it all? Yeah, I think it's you know it's kind of a combination. Like you said, we've had some great runs at Daytona, and and we've you know been in the top ten and been in the top five, and um, you know and I've learned from those. You know, I've been in the top five coming to the white flag and and not picked the right lane or uh, went too soon and tried to make a move too early or didn't have the run or didn't have a pusher. Um, and so, you know, even though we've had solid runs there, I've, I've really learned from all of those races where we've, we've been in the front and, and had an opportunity and, you know, mostly learned from the mistakes that, that I've made. And, and so, you know, that, that experience really helped. You, know, you got to have fast cars to get to the end of these races. You got to be smart, but you still got to be aggressive and you got to position yourself and, you know, these races are not won from, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. So you have to be in that top five, come to the white flag, and um, you got to be in those positions. And, you know, I sort of learned over the last, you know, 10 years on, on what, what I needed to do and what I not, needed not to do. And, and I think that really paid off. That, that is the voice of Michael McDowell. He drives the number 34 for Front Row Motorsports, just won the, the Daytona 500. He joins us here on box to row check out the 14 turn 3.61 mile road course in daytona the o'reilly's auto park 253 it uh, of course you can watch it on fox at 3 p.m eastern uh, on sunday um so what has it been like like have you do you feel like you've gotten in your groove the last five years i mean you've been on the circuit 13 or 14 years but this is the fifth straight year that you've driven consecutively on the circuit so do you feel like you've gotten or sort of getting in your groove there yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, those, those first, uh, you know, those first eight years that were a grind, you know, just doing whatever I could to stay in the sport and, you know, not being in the most competitive opportunities and, and not, you know, just, it just wasn't great. I mean, it, it was a tough, tough road, but like you said, the last five years, I've been able to come, you know, back racing full time and, and in competitive rides and, and make progress and you know we just keep getting better and better every year and, and you know my racing front row motorsports has done a great job i mean we've made big gains over the last three years and you know and that's fun it's fun to be a part of that and, and to be a part of those gains and you know and that's what's allowing me to you know to to be competitive and to to get into those positions and um you know it's it's been very rewarding to to um you know to see the reward from early on when it was tough and it was hard and it wasn't that much fun but you know just staying after it and now I have a great opportunity with a great team and and now we're the Daytona 500 champions yeah no question I was going to say is was it frustrating uh, 358 starts without a win and then of course on the 359th you win the great American race was that frustrating though well you know I mean it's just natural we're all competitive and you you want to win and um, you know, but the whole time I just held on to the hope that, you know, even though it, it's not fun right now and it's not the best situation, I'm just going to keep fighting hard and keep working hard and, you know, eventually you'll get the opportunity and, and just that mindset is what, you know, allowed me to, you know, stay positive and, and stay in the game. And, and, you know, I think that's a really important part of it is just, you got to make the best of every situation. You got to work hard. And, um, I sort of always knew that, you know, or I had the faith that if you just work hard and, and stay after it, you know, the, the opportunity will come. And um, But, you know, there was tough times, absolutely. I mean, there's lots of, you know, highs and lows as you're going through that. And and I think that's, you know, natural, but it's just not staying there and just knowing that, um, you know, that anything's possible and you just got to work hard. Michael McDowell again, winner of the Daytona 500, drives the number 34 for Front Row Motorsports, joins us here 
on the program. I want to get your thoughts on the road course race at uh, at Daytona uh, this Sunday. Your thoughts? Yeah, the road course is a lot of fun at Daytona. Uh, really looking forward to that. I mean, my background's in road racing, so it's it's a good week for us to um, you know come off a victory and head to you know a racetrack and a style of racing I'm really confident with and. And with our partner Freight Auctions, we're you know we're really excited to come to the road course and, and take some of this momentum and and have a good weekend. And um, you know there's there's definitely a lot of opportunity for us this weekend. So we're looking forward to to getting back to the racetrack on Sunday and and putting on a show for our fans and and doing it on the road course. Yeah, I I, I know I read where you ha- you own a a go kart place. If you, if it's thirty miles north of Charlotte, I would have to assume that it's in like Salisbury or something like that. But I'm, I, I mean, I got to assume, yeah, that th- it's going to get a bump. It's going to get a pretty good bump after winning the Daytona 500, right? Absolutely. I mean, does so much for our race team and, and really opens up opportunities moving forward. And, um, you know, it's only going to help our performance. Again, Michael McDowell drives the number 34 for Front Row Motorsports, winner of the 2021 Daytona 500, joins us here. On Botch to Row. Don't forget the 14-turn, 3.61-mile road course, O'Reilly's Auto Park 253, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox, and Michael will be a part of it. Michael, we appreciate the time. Continued success uh, to you and your team. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Michael McDowell, winner of the Daytona 500, joining us here on the program. We had Joey Logano on the program on last week. And he was right there, had the race. Brad Keselowski tried to make a move. Their teammates, as a matter of fact, they both ended up crashing. Neither won the race, and it ultimately went to Michael McDowell. And what a story. I mean, I think that's a great story. That's what sports is all about. Michael McDowell is 36 years old. As I mentioned, he has had some success in terms of finishes at the Daytona 500, kind of climbing the, the charts, if you will, the last couple of years, but not being able to win it. And wouldn't you know it, not only winning the Daytona 500, which now qualifies him for the NASCAR playoff this year, but also this being his first win on the NASCAR Cup Series championship circuit. Absolutely fantastic as we get ready to wrap it up here on from the press box to press row thank you to michael mcdowell also thank you to florida state head men's basketball coach leonard hamilton for joining us on the program for more information on from the press box to press row log on to our website at box we've got great interviews if you missed our interview last week with ryan smith it is up the hbcu football daily podcast all at box thank you for listening to Box to Row Radio here and airing on Sirius XM channels 142 and 84. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.